Welcome to Ebenezer's Podcast, a podcast about hearing, understanding, and applying the Word of God to our lives. My name is Leighton Erickson, and I'm Ebenezer's Lead Pastor. Thanks for joining us today. Please check out our website at ebenezerbaptist.ca to connect with us and learn more about our ministries. I hope you enjoy the message. I grew up attending school in a small town where the majority of the people were church attenders. I was pretty open about my faith at that point in time, maybe about grade 7 or 8, and I wore this yellow pin on my jean jacket that said, One Way, and it had a picture of this hand pointing up, and then it had the reference of John 14, verse 6 there, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. One day an older guy came up to me, and he was probably from grade 11 or 12 maybe, kind of on the fringe of the in crowd. And he stuck his hand in my face like this with his pointer finger up in the air and then he dropped that finger and turned his hand and he raised a different finger instead. (laughs) I'll give you one way. That's what he said to me right in my face and then he and the group with him walked away laughing. And in all honesty, that's about the extent of the persecution that I faced. You know, aside from the occasional sideways slur about being a churchy, oh, oh yeah, I was following a car one day that had a Honk If You Love Jesus sticker on it and I blew my horn in one of those friendly kind of beep beep modes and the driver gave me that same gesture that I got when I was back in high school. (laughs) But in all honesty, that's the extent of my suffering for Jesus. And really, it's embarrassing to admit when you consider what other believers around the world are experiencing. That's my suffering story. But what about your suffering story? Maybe your family doesn't follow Jesus and harass you for your faith. Maybe you're a student and your prof has given you poor marks because your work has reflected Christian thinking and values. Perhaps there's co-workers in your place of work that give you a hard time because you've tried to be a Christian example. Or maybe you've been passed over for promotions time and time again because your boss doesn't appreciate your faith and he hassles you for it. Today we're continuing in our series in 1 Peter. Peter is writing to the Christians that were dispersed across Asia where many of them were suffering for their faith and for some, that suffering was very intense. Now, by this point in his letter, chapter 4, Peter has already addressed the issue of suffering and persecution several times. So here in verse 12, it appears like he's wrapping up this discussion and, and giving overarching guidance to the believers. And the first thing that I notice, the first thing that I want us to notice in our section today, is that suffering for following Jesus is normal and to be expected. Verse 12 uh, and 13. Verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. In verse in uh, 1 John verse uh, chapter 3 verse 13, we actually find very similar language. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. Historically, North America was founded on Christianity and embraced Christian thinking and values. Many of us have lived through a time when Christianity was a staple in our society. Here's a quick example. When I began ministry like 30, 35 years ago with Youth for Christ, we were openly allowed into the schools and sometimes even invited. And I'm not talking the elementary schools, I'm talking the high schools. But that's changing. In more recent years, Christianity and biblical teaching have been moved from the center to the fringe and in many cases completely out of scope. So it shouldn't come as a surprise to us when we're looked down upon and even treated differently or badly because we follow Jesus. Societal norms have shifted. 
for a variety of reasons, making Christianity quote-unquote out of date, out of touch, in some cases peculiar, and in other situations even something to be scoffed at. Now, there's another reason that many of us in North America have been somewhat surprised by the change in attitude toward Christianity. There are some within a larger Christian scene that have taught that if you follow Jesus, you'll become prosperous, that everything will go well for you. Many North Americans have embraced this teaching that if you give to God, especially if you give to God financially, then he'll give back, even financially. And this line of thinking has led many to believe that if you follow Jesus, he promises to make you healthy, wealthy, and wise. This stands in stark contrast to what Jesus said. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Now, because of wrong theology of what's become known as the prosperity gospel and the historical acceptance of Christianity in our country, many of us have been led to believe that if you're a follower of Jesus, you won't encounter persecution or suffering. But that isn't what Jesus said. Discipleship isn't about self-indulgence. Discipleship isn't about always having things perfect for yourself. Discipleship is about self-denial. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross. Peter told the Asian believers they should not be surprised when they encountered trials and suffering because of Jesus. We shouldn't be surprised either. Suffering for follow Jesus is normal and to be expected. Now, having said that, we also need to remember what Peter told the Asian believers early in his, earlier in his letters. When we encounter difficulties because of our faith, the body of Christ is there. In chapter 3, Peter called the believers to be sympathetic, to love his brothers, to be compassionate, to be humble. So when we encounter trials and suffering because of our faith, we're not alone. We need to overcome the challenge of being vulnerable to this mindset that we have to stay silent if we're encountering difficulties because of our faith. We have to, we have to get by that. We need to reach out. We need to talk to other believers. We need to share in our smaller gatherings. We need to come around and support one another as the body of Christ. We're the family of God. And we can come to that family. We can go to our family for support and encouragement. And so the first thing that we see in this part of Peter's letter is that suffering is normal if you're a follower of Jesus. But as Peter said earlier, you don't have to go through trials alone. The family of God is here. Now, the next thing that Peter talks about is the attitude that we're to have as followers of Jesus when we encounter suffering. Here's the point that I want to make. We can rejoice in suffering because it reveals the work of God in us. Verses 13 and 14. Rejoice, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. I want to break this down a little bit. We'll look at it from kind of a two-pronged approach. The first reason that we can rejoice in suffering is this. It's evidence of the initial work of God in us that makes us different. If you're a closet Christian, if you're an undercover Christian, you won't encounter suffering. If you never do anything that distinguishes you as a believer, you won't get hassled. But it's when you let your light shine for Jesus that others take notice And those who oppose Christ, well, they're going to oppose you. And they may well persecute you as well. John 15, 18, Jesus says this, If the world hates you, 
Keep in mind that it hated me first. So suffering for your faith is evidence that Jesus has changed you. It's evidence that the Spirit of God has come and made a difference in you. And that's cause for rejoicing. Those who don't love Jesus, those who in fact may even hate Him, they'll take notice that you're different. And that's where the hassle comes from. And in that, in that evidence, we can rejoice. Now here's the second prong of this approach. We can rejoice in suffering because it reveals the ongoing work of God within us that helps us to respond in the midst of what we're dealing with. Earlier in his letter, Peter said this, don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. So returning good in response to receiving a curse, keeping your tongue from evil, turning from evil and doing good, all of these are godly responses to persecution. These only come as a result of the character of God being formed within you. A godly response for being hassled for your faith, it really isn't about you. Responding to persecution in a godly way gives glory to God. He's the one who's changed the believer and empowered the believer. And persecution gives opportunity for the work of God within you to be revealed. And so we can rejoice in that. In Acts 6 through 7, we have a literal example of the glory of God shining through while a follower of Christ undergoes persecution. Stephen had been chosen to minister and serve in the early church. He was a powerful witness for Christ that the religious leaders of the time, they couldn't deal with him. The power of God just was overwhelming in his life. And so they made false accusations against him and they stirred up the crowds. And that's kind of what they did. They did that with Jesus too. And when Stephen was brought before their courts, Acts 6 verse 15, all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. This was the literal glory of God shining through Stephen as evidence of the work and power of God within him. And so when the believer responds in a godly way to persecution, that's the glory of God coming through as well. When you're mocked for following Jesus and you respond with kindness, when you're insulted because you love Christ and you don't fire back, when you suffer as a disciple and pray for those who persecute you, you can rejoice because that's the glory of God shining through you in terms of how you respond. And I just want to read 13 and 14 again and just notice the emphasis here. If you participate in the sufferings of Christ, be overjoyed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Now, in our next point here today, Peter moves from encouraging the believers to have a positive attitude to, to a place where he's cautioning the believers regarding negative motivations when it comes to suffering. And here's the point I want to make, the third one. Suffering should come as a result of right living for Jesus, not wrong living for self. Verses 15 and 16. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Now, the examples that Peter uses in verse 15 are telling. Murderer, thief, criminal, even meddler, these are not the actions of a follower of Christ. These are activities of someone who doesn't know Jesus. So here what we see is that the point Peter is pointing out that not all suffering is the result of living for Jesus. Sometimes believers will suffer because they've acted in an ungodly way perhaps even because of sinful attitudes and actions in their lives. And he says that when a believer acts wrongly and gets into trouble, especially with those in authority, 
that suffering is justified. They deserve the treatment they receive because of their wrong behavior. Peter is also quick to point out that this type of behavior not only hurts the believer, but it also brings shame to the name of Jesus. Now, when you think about it, Peter probably understood shame because of ungodliness better than most. He was the one who denied knowing Jesus three times the night before the crucifixion. But Peter also understood what it was like to fully embrace the truth of who Jesus is and be empowered and stand faithfully for him. It was Peter who was filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. It was Peter who preached an amazing salvation message that day. It was Peter who saw thousands embrace Jesus as a result. It was also Peter who was dragged before the religious leaders and punished for speaking about Christ. See, Peter knew what it was like to act shamefully because of selfishness and because of fear. And he knew what it was like to legitimately suffer for the sake of Christ. His own example would have given even greater authority to the challenge to suffer because of right living for Jesus instead of wrong living for self. Now for just a minute, I want us to think back to the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3. In that section, Peter challenged his listeners to submit to all those in authority. Now this attitude of submission, it's key, it's central when it comes to responding to suffering. So if you're suffering in a situation, especially where you're under authority, I think it's important that we ask ourselves a couple of questions. First of all, is this trial due to some known sin in my life? If you brought judgment on yourself because you've disobeyed God or broken a law, you need to recognize that. That needs to be repented of. Now, secondly, here's another question. Might your trial or suffering be the result of your lack of submission? If so, Peter calls us to humble ourselves. Doing so will make a significant impact on our attitude, and it may well impact the situation for the better. So in light of Peter's overall teaching regarding suffering, these questions can actually be quite helpful when it comes to understanding and responding to the situation where you're experiencing trial and possibly even suffering. Now, Here's the fourth point that I want to make today. Trial purifies the believer but punishes the unbeliever. Verse 17 and 18. For it's time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Now, there's one important thing that we need to understand right off the beginning as we get into these verses. God does not allow suffering in order to punish the believer. God does not allow suffering to punish the believer. Punishment for sin was settled once and for all at the cross. It was there that Jesus took the punishment we deserved upon himself, forever freeing those who believe in him from the righteous wrath of God. Persecution or suffering is not punishment. Rather, suffering for the believer purifies them. Romans 5, 3 and 5. We also glory in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And in James chapter 1, verses 2 and 4, a familiar verse that's very similar as well in terms of its message. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. We don't glorify God for suffering, but we glorify God in suffering. 
The believer brings glory to God in suffering through those things that he accomplishes in us. I mentioned that earlier. But to add to that for just a moment, suffering for Christ proves and improves our faith. Suffering can develop the spiritual fruit within the life of the believer. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Fruits of the Spirit, as mentioned in Galatians 5. These can be the results of suffering if we trust in God for strength. Now, having said that, suffering is certainly no picnic. But because Jesus paid the penalty for our sin, the believer will never face the punishment of God. The earthly persecution that we may encounter is the worst the believer will ever face. The judgment which Peter mentions in this verse regarding the household of God has to do with rewards for those who are faithful. 1 Corinthians 3, starting in verse 13. Fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. Now, this is not the case when it comes to the judgment of those who have rejected Christ. They will not face trial and suffering for faith during their earthly journey. But the Bible tells us the non-believer will face suffering for eternity after death. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul appears to reiterate this theme of reward at the judgment for the believer, but punishment for those who do not believe. 2 Thessalonians 1, starting at verse 5. God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled, and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might on the day he comes to be glorified. So, if we view suffering through God's lens, we're able to rejoice because trials develop godliness in the life of the believer. And trials and suffering, these can also invoke an attitude of thankfulness for the grace of God as they remind the follower of Jesus of what God has spared them from because of the work of Christ. And here's the last point that I want to make today. Trust God and continue to do good. Verse 19, So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful Creator and continue to do good. Now the NAV, as I just read it, uh, says, commit themselves. The New American Standard says, entrust themselves. Now, the word used here is actually the same word Peter used earlier in chapter 2, verse 23, where he says, when he suffered, speaking of Christ, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. This is actually also the same word used in Luke when Jesus cried out from the cross, Father, into your hands I commit or I entrust my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. To commit or to entrust is actually a banking term that means to deposit one's valuable possessions to another for safekeeping. When Sand and I were at the bank the other day, I noticed the vault off in the far, far back corner of the building and the door, it was open. The door was steel, about a foot, foot and a half thick, something like that. And there was multiple latches that secured the door into a heavy metal frame when it was closed. Many of us have seen vaults. We've seen them open, you know, when we go and do banking. Well, I was waiting for our teller. I imagined what it would take to break into that vault. Not plotted. Okay, you got to keep that straight. I was just imagining what it would take. 
And I actually couldn't come up with anything short of a, like a bomb or a tank, like a, a military tank that could break that vault open. Anything entrusted to that vault would most definitely be secure. And that's the picture that Peter is painting in this verse. When faith is placed in Jesus, the believer is entrusting God with their very life in this earthly realm and also for eternity. And the banking terminology is a reminder that God is certainly capable. He's more than capable of guarding what has been entrusted to him, of what has been given to him. But if that isn't enough to give the believer confidence, Peter goes on to use a word here to describe God that's rarely used in the New Testament. He calls him creator. And of course, it's a reference to the creation act and the power displayed by God when he spoke our entire world into existence. And so what Peter is getting at here is that if God created the universe by the power of his word, he is certainly powerful enough to take care of those who believe in him. He can be entrusted with the very lives of those who believe, the very lives of those who believe for eternity. Even if evil people take the physical life of a follower of Jesus, as can happen in cases of extreme persecution, ultimately, God will not lose those who put their faith in him. Ultimately, in eternity, God will not lose those who trust him. Despite physical death, eternal life with the Lord is promised to those who don't know him. And Paul speaks of this truth in his letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy 1 verse 12. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I believed and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted him until that day. God is trustworthy. He is more than capable. He is powerful enough beyond measure to protect those who put their faith in him. And that's, that's during this earthly sojourn, trusting that God is doing things for good in our lives, but it's also in terms of eternity. He will protect us in eternity. That is secure with him forever. And then Peter, after laying that foundation, says this, doing what is right then in the face of suffering as Peter's commanded all through this letter, is a demonstration of the believer's trust in God to accomplish what he said he would do in the lives of those who love him, both now in this earthly journey and for eternity in glory. So as Peter wraps up this instruction regarding suffering, there's five key points that we looked at today. Suffering for following Jesus is normal and to be expected. We can rejoice in suffering because it means that God's at work in us. Suffering shouldn't come as a result of, or should rather come as the result of right living for Jesus, not wrong living for ourselves. Trial purifies the believer, but punishes the unbeliever. And we need to trust in God and continue to do good. The persecuted and suffering believers scattered across Asia that Peter wrote to were afraid. And they were tired. They were unsure of how to respond in the midst of their trials. But Peter's teaching gave them a solid Christian perspective in the midst of uncertainty that guided them toward a response that reflected Jesus and brought glory to God. I don't know what you're facing at this point in your life, but if you're currently facing challenges because of your love for Jesus, I would encourage you to look at what Peter told the believers of his time. And just as his words helped his readers be more like Jesus, they can also help you become a greater reflection of Christ and bring glory to God regardless of the circumstances that you're facing. As we bring this message more, uh, today to a close, I just want to remind us of the words of Jesus. 
I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. If this world hate in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Father, I want to thank you this morning for the teachings of Peter. I want to thank you for godly men who wrote down these things um, that were inspired by the Holy Spirit so many years ago, and that we can look at them today and be encouraged and be empowered. And Father, today I want to pray for those of us who may be encountering suffering in different ways. I pray that you might give us strength to trust in you, to continue to do good, to respond with um, good when we are treated evilly. And I pray that you might give us that authority and that strength to just push aside our sense of, of embarrassment and even shame if we are suffering. And I pray that we might be able to come together with other believers and just share our story and be encouraged and be supported. And Father, I want to pray for the protection of those in our church family and even in our city, our province, our world who are encountering suffering because of Christ. I want to pray for the spiritual and physical protection. I pray that the witness of the church might move forward. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would be glorified as a result of the work you are accomplishing in those who love you and who follow you. And so we give you praise and thanks today for your word to us. And we pray that we might take courage from it. We ask all of this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out our church website at ebenezerbaptist.ca. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can let us know by clicking like and by subscribing to our podcast channel. God bless you and thanks for listening.